How risky is it, really? As innovators and change agents in our business, one of the things we deal with most is the perception of risk. That new initiative seems risky. What if things go wrong? And of course, we don't actually ask it that straightforwardly in business. We say and hear questions like, what's the return going to be on that investment? Have we socialized this to all the right stakeholders? Is this a paradigm shift? Is it a win-win? What's the net-net of this? You know, have we netted it out when you calculated the net of it? Have we done the due diligence? Is it actionable? Can we scale it? Is it best of breed? What's the value add? Have we closed the loop on all the details? Is there a quick win here? Let's peel back the onion on this initiative. Yeah, those are all the same questions that start with the same assumption. Something has to go wrong. So, let's get it all out there so that we can determine the risk. But see, us humans, we are horrible at assessing risk. We don't actually assess risk based on the facts. We personally assess risk based on what we feel about the facts. The funny thing about risk is that we immediately associate the word with the negative connotation, pain, loss, or failure. How come you never hear anybody say, you know, the risk is we're going to win that game today. I'm taking a risk today to win the lottery. And weirdly enough, we actually should look at winning the lottery as a risk. 70% of lottery winners actually go broke. That's the fact. But it's not how we feel about the fact of winning the lottery. The gap and the things that affect it are what psychologists call risk perception factors. And one of the biggest isn't actually the outcome of the risk, it's the perceived potential of pain and suffering within the outcome. It determines much of how we feel about risk. Even at the smallest layers we can see this. If you're deathly afraid of voicing your ideas at a meeting of executives, but have no problem throwing it anonymously into an idea box, that's a gap. The facts are this idea might have an equal amount of weight in both venues, but the fear of rejection and the pain and suffering of embarrassment in real time, what if it's not a good idea? Well, it outweighs your desire to even get credit for it if it was. The risk is just too high. This happens with our content and marketing as well. We've made the calculus that doing hundreds of campaigns or posting lots of blog posts is less risky than putting all our efforts into one campaign or one post. Our fear outweighs the facts. And this is the key. When you're reassessing or assessing the risk, one of the best things to do is list out all those facts that you're using to assess it. And ask yourself, ask your team, what are we really afraid of? Chances are that risk monster, it's not really as scary as your fears have you believe. As the wonderful quote from Seneca said, it's not because things are difficult that we dare not venture. It's because we dare not venture that they're difficult. So at the risk of going too long, well, that's the theme of our show today. Risk. What are we really afraid of? And now I'm afraid it's time for me to end this intro and get to our little show. You ready to take a chance on these two knuckleheads? Well, then let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 201 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, September 18th, 2017. And with me, as always, is my co host, my colleague, my friend, and the safest bet. 
in content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? You know what was not a safe bet over the weekend? <laughs> the <laughs> Cowboys or the Browns? The or... Cowboys or the Browns. Yeah. Which combined could have been the worst two games in the entire league on Sunday. It was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. Although the Packers and the, you know, the, the Falcons really trounced the Packers last night too. So, you know, it was, uh, it was an equal, it was an equal time, butt whipping. Well, um, it, that's all well and good. But when you lose track of how many turnovers there are in the game, you know, <laughs> there's a problem with my, when your running Browns. back has negative yards, that's, you that's know, there's a, a problem. That's, that's all negative good. yards. That's all good. But, and I know we don't have, you know, not everyone's a sports I fan, know. particularly a Cleveland sports fan, but we did have the all time record for most wins in a row. The Cleveland Indians, 22. It's amazing. The it's most amazing. wins in a row without a tie in the middle. Got to make that disclaimer. So they did that, and it was uh, the whole city's just waiting for the playoffs here. So we'll, we'll hopefully this year, you know, the Cubs had theirs. Maybe now we can break the seventy year drought and actually there make it is. Happen. I I think so. Boy, the the ended. I mean, I just hope that they haven't peaked too soon, right? I just because it's you know it's it's amazing what they're doing right now. It's unbelievable. The pitching is unbelievable. Just such great pitching. There is no peaking too soon. Yeah. It will happen. <laughs> it is all going to happen as planned this year. And, and I, I don't think I'm going, going to go. I went to two of the World Series games last year. They didn't work out very well. So I'm going to. <laughs> I think I'm going to stay in a vault <laughs> You're just with a radio. Curled up under a blanket with a radio not, next to you. You're saying, don't wake up from this dream. <laughs> well, the last time that the Cleveland won a championship, I was on an airplane, the Cavs. You know, I was on an airplane to London yeah. with the family. So maybe... Maybe it's all about you being out of the country. Maybe I need uh, to be above the United States or something. Or, or outside, away, of, the outside United States, of the United yeah. States to make it happen. But anyway, yeah. so we'll, we'll see how that goes. But you had a good there weekend? You. Everything's I did. Well, Other yeah. than the obvious, yes, I had a wonderful weekend. I am finally decompressing from content marketing world and oh, yeah. feeling like I'm getting a little bit caught up and yeah, I mean, just really so much to do and so much greatness and wonderfulness came out of it. So, but I feel like I'm, I'm getting caught up. Well, we have a couple things to announce. We do. And the first thing is, did dun, you know dun, dun. that tomorrow, Tuesday, September 19th is the official launch of the book. The official. Da, da, da. Killing marketing. <laughs> Killing right. marketing. <laughs> and we have a little fun. So for those of you on Twitter, we're doing a little bit of fun. If you've been following the Killing Mar Marketing hashtag, you've see, seen some people have been having some fun with that hashtag. Yeah. So basically, been. if you want to join along, we'd love you to. Uh, Robert and I, we simply crack up over all these pictures. Submit a picture to us on Twitter with a, a picture of you or something interesting with the hashtag Killing Marketing. In the picture itself, for a chance to win a free autographed copy of the book from myself and Robert, and we'd be happy to send that out to you. And I think we're going to have some fun this week, giving away some free audio books and all kinds of good stuff. So, um, the only thing that I wanted, and you and I were talking about this before, Robert. Yeah. Anyone listening to this? Now, you don't have to buy our book; it's completely fine. We love you just the way you are. That's right. But. If you are thinking about buying the book, whether it's in an audio book, whether it's Kindle, or whether it's print. Or buy, you want to buy more than one. Or you want to like buy more you than already one. Or, you're like, you have one already, but you're like, I really, yeah. really want to buy another one. Or buy one for your friend, your yeah, colleague, exactly. your hamster, whatever. Your team, whatever. Whatever yeah. it is. It helps us the most this week if you actually purchase it on Tomorrow. Tuesday the 19th. So, Tuesday. So as you're as Tuesday, so all of our subscribers, you know, you're listening to this. It's either Monday night or Tuesday during the day, probably. Uh, and and by the way, if you listen to it on Wednesday, there's still time. It's still good. But but Tuesday is the day. So we'd love to see you <laughs> go and buy those. That'd be great. <laughs> we have some personal goals we're trying to hit this year with the with the killing marketing being a bestseller, and and we'd like That's you right. to be part of it. So that's I hope right. You can. And we're trying to, and, and let's just be honest, what we're trying to do is get the algorithm that is Amazon's lovely way of showing how books are bestsellers. We're trying to game it. Yeah, you know, we so, are. Yeah. So, we're, so that's absolutely. what we're trying to do. There's, Full transparency here. We're, we're, we're trying to game that algorithm. So buy it tomorrow. We're buy not above it. Tomorrow. We are not we're above not, it. No, no. Absolutely. We will go to, oh, the, no. to great depths. We will to get the number low. one. <laughs> 
<laughs> Anyways. All right. Yeah. So we're going to have fun this week. Uh, we're going to do all kinds of fun stuff on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook. So if you're following us, we're, you'll see us doing some goofy things try That's to, right. pr- to try to promote the book, if you will. And the publisher will be very happy as well. Um, Absolutely. The other quick thing I have to announce, a uh, public service announcement, the full videos for Content Marketing World, all 100-plus sessions are going to be out in the next week. And But if you want access to that, you have to purchase that now because they're only going to be available for a limited time. So you go to cmi.media slash video17, cmi.media slash video17, and that'll take you to the site where you can sign up. And if you type in the coupon code CMIFRIENDS100, CMI friends 100 all caps you save $100 off all the amazing sessions from content marketing world I'm in there Robert's in there and then 100 people that you really want to see all right <laughs> so go ahead and sign well up done. um and I know a lot of people especially our friends in Texas and our friends in Florida couldn't make content marketing world this year yeah uh, for obvious reasons. Um, so we have that available. We want to give you the coupon code so you can have access to it. It's the best value going. Please go ahead and, and get that going. So that's um, that's it. And then that's wonderful. Do we and well, well, we have a top. Well, we have a top of the show sponsor. Oh, we, we have a sponsor too. Our continuing wonderful. It never that ends. Damn sponsor. That Absolutely. Damn sponsor. So special thanks to our friends at Widen. They have a great ebook called The Creative Workflow Workbook. It's your guide for producing better work together. And they found good at that. Exactly. They found that creative content production at most organizations falls within five core steps strategic planning, tactical planning, creation, deployment, and assessment. Where are your teams getting stuck? Download the Creative Workflow Workbook today to find out. You can go to cmi.media slash pnr201b. That's CMI media, I'm sorry, cmi.media slash pnr201b to download that. And uh, super thankful for our friends at Widen for making this possible. Great piece of content. We want you to have it. Go ahead and download it as soon as you get a chance. That is wonderful. And as always, thank you to Widen. I'm a big fan of those guys. Thank you. uh, Yeah, it's really cool. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, well, to top off our show here, we're going to get to our wonderful segment that we call Quick Hits, which, of course, are just larger stories that cover the area of marketing, social media, all that wonderful stuff that we think you should be paying attention to. Um, And let's see, we'll start out here with a story from our friends from the Wall Street Journal. And big hat tip here. There were a lot of folks who sent us this, by the way, through the hashtag. But I'm going to give the hat tip to Ricky Shockley. Um, and he's at Ricky Shockley. You see, just a normal, straightforward Twitter name. Just so perfect. Ricky Shockley. At Ricky Shockley. <laughs> it's and so easy to remember. It's so too. easy to remember. Yes. There we go. So the headline here from the Wall Street Journal is... Ad trade groups protest Apple's move to limit use of browser data. Of course and they very, do. Both yes, <laughs> did I say that out loud? I, yes, you did. Very clumsily worded headline there, but we'll go ahead and give them uh, credit for that. It starts off by saying six advertising trade associations, including the 4A's Association of National Advertisers and the Interactive Advertising Bureau, have teamed up to protest Apple's latest move to block advertisers from collecting certain data that helps them target ads to Apple device users. Wah. Then the organizations <laughs> which represent ad agencies and marketers wah, issued a letter wah, outlining their concerns over Apple's Safari 11 web browser, which is due to be released on September 19th. The new browser version is expected to feature an intelligent tracking prevention tool designed to block access to cookie files stored on users' devices, which marketers and advertising companies use to target, track, and measure their ads. So this is a little bit like there's no... I'm shocked there's gambling happening in the casino, you think? Um, Or did you have a specific take on the reason for this? I wish you could see this right now i mean picture this it's actually happening right now in my office i have a little (laughs) teeny violin that i'm playing it's really really small um yeah uh apple can do whatever they want and uh this is a continue this is continuing on everything that we see all the trends that we've seen where it's pritchard at at png and the ad fraud and everything else and you just see a movement away from uh, and and the technology behind it, a way to, to advertise effectively. I can't what, – what bothered me about this article were the quotes that said, we won't be able to deliver useful advertising. <laughs> 
What? Yeah, right. Are you kidding yeah. me? Because we need that information on. And you know what? Apple can do whatever they want, just like Facebook can do whatever they want. LinkedIn can do whatever they want. Oh, the whole more, more targeted, less useful thing. Um, I, I mean, this is the thing that really killed me. I didn't realize this. Did you know this? Apple browsers, 51.6% of the market. Safari I had browser? not. Yeah, yes, I, that did surprise me as well, and I'm not sure I believe it. So, but, well, if but that's I, true, I mean, I, I don't think I believe. It. I didn't. I mean, are they just talking mobile? But I mean, we have to go into more detail. They don't. They say overall, but mobile, acor- I would believe. Well, mobile, I would believe. But it doesn't say that. Yeah. It says according to this analytics company Stack Counter, Apple Safari had a 51.6 percent share of the U.S. browser market in August, and 38.7 percent share to Google's Chrome. So just think about this, folks, this outside of the article. Basically, you have two gatekeepers for getting your content. You have, some, you have Apple and you have Google. And then yeah. you have in this app on the side, you have Facebook. So it's, just, it's just really interesting that um, it's probably not now it's so important to sort of build our own land. We'll be talking a lot about that theme throughout this podcast right now. But that, that's what concerned me is, okay, we're just going to see this continuing to develop. You've got, of course, the trade groups are up in arms over it. Apple's going to do whatever they want to do that's in the best interest of Apple. We can't do anything about it, and it's only going to get worse. Or, right. or it doesn't. And I mean, not way, worse. It's just only going to get more like that. I don't know if it's better or worse. It just is. Well, yeah, exactly. And you know, so the, you know, this goes to what I've talked about. Oh, I talked about it at Content Marketing World. I talked about it. Uh, I have been talking about it for some time. This sort of difference in what I've been sort of terming emotional data, where you know the difference between gathered data and given data is just so big. And so and you know, given data is just so much more valuable than gathered data, and gathered data is just going to get more complex to gather. You know, I mean you've heard me rant about the GDPR and uh, you know, new the castle restrictions in Canada yeah. and you know, and they haven't hit here yet, and so everybody's like oh, mouth open and shocked here when we start talking about this. But in many ways, what Apple is doing here is preempting some stuff That's that it. we haven't really talked about That's here, what's going on in Europe, which is they're basically saying, Hey, listen, this stuff's coming down the road anyway. And so don't think for a minute Apple's, you know, trying to be wonderfully sort of, um, you know, Pollyanna here about, you know, oh, we're going to be so kind about, you know, making sure that customers, you know, can can hide their data. They would be the first ones to, you know, to take your data if it, if it suits their business purposes. But they, they can see the writing on the wall. And so by making it an opt-in, not even an opt-in, a, a, a default where your, your data can't be tracked, they protect themselves from some of these That's new regulations right. that are coming along. So... This is this is you know this is o- there are only going to be more of this. If you don't expect Google to do this as well, then you're kidding yourself. I think, by the way, just as a side note, I think I think the the Wall Street Journal is mistaken here on the browser percentage. I think that might be that Apple Safari has fifty one percent of the Apple market. Right, those who those who connect through an Apple device, I would believe that, but I don't believe that it has fifty one percent. Well, we'll have to check on that. So, share. if any of any of our listeners know. We would love to to know what the real numbers are, but I mean, I, I boy, if that was wrong, that would be a big miss by the Wall Street Journal. But that's what we're reading right now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, all right. all right, all right. Number two, we'll talk about our other favorite of the four horsemen, Google, um, and they. The headline here, this also comes from the Wall Street Journal, and our second quick hit story is they are offering an olive branch to publishers by relaxing the policy on subscription sites. Um, this one comes from our favorite contributor, Bethany Johnson, with the crazy uh, Twitter handle, at Fanny Bethany B. How did I do, Bethany? Um, anyway, so the Latin. story opens She's using up. Pig Latin. That's I she's know she's using Pig Latin. Hello, friends. You know, um, no, that's the Zoom. That's the, that's not Pig Latin. It's a, uh, anyway. I, Come on, Bethany. I'll, I'll, sit here. <laughs> I'll give you, I'll give you, hell, here, here, we're going to put this out there right now. Bethany, Robert and I will autograph a book called Killing Marketing, where I'll send it to you if you change your your Twitter symbol. <laughs> if you change it to something regular that we can... Oh, she's never... Because you're a great it. contributor, yeah. but we're just... It, it's enough. It's enough. <laughs> it's enough. <laughs> I, love it. I love the fact that you're... It's enough. It's enough. I'm, it's I'm enough. bringing in dad voice here. The great, it's, <laughs> Bethany, it's, it's enough. enough. It's enough. 
Opening up by saying Google is planning to end its first click-free policy that enables users of its search engine to bypass paywalls on news websites, a move that could help publishers boost subscriptions, uh, News Corp chief executive Robert Thompson said Tuesday. Google for years has encouraged publishers to be part of the program. I didn't even know this was a formal program, um, which allows search users to access a limited amount of content on subscription-based news sites free of charge. Some publishers say the policy has hurt subscription growth and say their sites are penalized in Google search rankings if they don't participate in the program. It goes on to talk about how Wall Street Journal uh, has actually lost a number of uh, amount of traffic based yep. on this. What did, you, what did you think about this? I actually have a case study because when I read this, this is me. This is exactly what happened. So, so when you put together the show notes and the links, you send me, because you're a subscriber to Wall Street Journal. So you, you send me the links that you have, and I get them. And then I click on them, and you know what I get? I get, I get blocked. This is, let's go back, go back last year. So this is what would happen yeah. last year. So I would get blocked. And then so what I would do is I would type in the name of the article into Google. Into Google. I would get it, and then I would get access to it. Yeah. So now I can't do that. So, I'm not, so I've, I've become a Wall Street subscriber Wall Street Journal subscriber because I need access to these. I don't right. want access to them, and I couldn't get them for free. So it's just interesting. Now, in this article, you know, Google's making this move now across the board, it seems, to do this. There's, so there's a couple implications. First of all, Wall Street Journal says, as you said, their search traffic uh, fell 38%. Let's see, total fell 38%, and from Google News fell 89% last month Amazing. because Amazing. of this. Now... Here's the thing that you have to think about, not just media companies, but but content marketers out there. Losing traffic is not a bad thing, necessarily. I mean, if you're going to lose subscribers and you're losing you know, different forms of revenue and whatever, I don't think this in particular has hurt Wall Street Journal just because I, I, don't, uh, I had to actually sign up and subscribe. So they're losing me. They're not getting my search traffic anymore because I'm going directly to the Wall Street Journal because I'm a member now. Right. So you just have to kind of look at overall traffic and trends and what whatnot. But the the thing that that I thought just overall is that this could open again, and we've seen it happen with the New York Times and their subscription rates going up. That you can monetize content directly if people like Google aren't going to give it away for free. So there there could be there could be an opportunity there for for a regaining or rejuvenation of that that portion of the business model. So. Yeah. Well, I think that's exactly right. I think, you know, I mean, because look, if you if if what you care about is subscriptions, you don't care about traffic, you care about conversions, right? And so you're the perfect, you know, you're the perfect patient zero for them, right? Which is I want the content and I'm willing, you know, I want it bad enough that I'm willing to pay for it to get it. Yeah. And so it's really just figuring out what the right price point is. It still strikes me as odd that many of these publications haven't offered up a you know an alternative version that is monetized in different ways we talked about this i don't know 50 shows ago where we where we talked about the opportunity is to look at that traffic and say hey listen this is this is you know and so instead of denying you actually redirecting you to a sponsored version of the content yeah. which is you know either a shorter version that is sponsored by a person sort of very or or filled with native content right so taking that doing a semantic analysis on it and then basically saying hey listen if you want the real article it's here but here's another article that matches what you're looking for and we're throwing that up for you or just or right. just like what ESPN insider does where you just have premium content it's just Instead, that's of, right. You don't have to gate Fair all enough. the content, yep. right? I mean, we exactly. do that at, at Content Marketing Institute. I mean, ninety-nine percent of our content is free, but we have a portion of the content that's gated. That's what, that's our university content. That's what people have to pay for. So yes, and there's right. a, there's a really good model too, where you don't have to just shut the doors entirely. There's a lot of different models there. So I just thought that's it was right. interesting that they're doing this, though. Yeah, and so and but the now coming back to the story just quickly here, one of the things that they had said was that if you didn't participate in this formal program, you were disadvantaged in site rankings. And I guess what Google is now saying is is that that's no longer going to They're be just the doing case. it across the board. They're just yeah. doing it across the board and and that's the way it's going to be. And the I just wanted to call out the quote um that Thompson, who's the the CEO of uh, of uh, of, of um, uh, uh, the Wall Street Journal and 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 others, the parent company, 
had said, the quote was, at one stage I called Google the tapeworm of the intestines of the internet, <laughs> which I thought was just a really interesting and fun quote. Um, and then he says, but actually things have changed. <laughs> like, they've been, yeah, yeah, they've been so, partnering. Yeah, yeah, so we've removed the tapeworm from the intestines of the internet. Now it's two tapeworms. No, I'm exactly. Yeah. All right, our final quick hit story here comes to us. Uh, and thank you all who sent over this, yeah. by the way. So hat tip to all of you, um, because we've got this story maybe, I don't know, 20 or 30 times in the hashtag and email um, this comes courtesy of the new york times and the headline here and this by the way is pretty breaking um, happened uh, i think really over the weekend or even just today the headline is rolling stone magazine is now up for sale um, and the new york times opens up by saying started in a loft in san francisco in 1967 a 21 year old named jan wenner uh started a magazine that would become the counterculture bible for baby boomers rolling stone defined cool cultivated literary icons and produced a star making covers that were such coveted real estate that they inspired a song uh, but the headwinds buffeting the publishing industry and some costly strategic missteps have steadily taken a financial toll on rolling stone and a botched story three years ago about an unproven gang rape uh, at the University of Virginia badly bruised the magazine's journalistic reputation. So, after a half-century reign that propelled him into the realm of the rock stars and celebrities who grace his covers, Mr. Wenner is putting his company's controlling stake in Rolling Stone up for sale, relinquishing his hold on a publication he has led since its founding. What do you think? Who's going to buy the Rolling Stone? You know, I don't even know if this is... Uh a good analogy to t- let's just t- let's take it back 10 years let's take it back 10 years and let's say that instead of focusing just on advertising for the most part that's how rolling stone makes their money what if rolling stone would have thought about what 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 do our readers really want to buy what if they got into the product business you know five six seven years ago i mean i don't know i'm throwing i don't even know what the products would be could would you buy a you know if you're targeting musicians, would you buy a Rolling Stone um, amplifier, guitar? I don't know, right? Would you? I don't know. I, don't, I mean, but I think that those questions needed to be asked because we saw this coming, and a lot of media companies saw this coming. So let's now take it to today. Hindsight is twenty twenty. You go to today. I think that there is an opportunity for great investment into this brand by a product company. So who is that? I don't know. If it would be an amp company, a guitar company, if it would be a CPG company, I, I don't know. I'd have to, I really don't really know who the readership is, but I think that's what you go into. You really figure out, okay, what's, what's the defining force that brings these people together? What's the mission that brings these people together that read this every day, every week, every month, and then figure out, okay, how can we monetize to them? Because you can't advertise your way out of this. This, does, this story does not have a happy ending, in my opinion, if you sell it to another media company. No, I think you're exactly right. And that's and the article goes on in some detail to talk about the media companies, some of whom uh, Wenner has actually dealt with before and sold yep. his some of his other titles to that would that would be potential uh, acquisitors of, of, of the Rolling Stone. And by the way, it also talks about a story that we covered on this show about a year ago, I think. Um, it was during the summer, I remember, where um, they sold 49% of Rolling Stone to a Singapore-based software company. And they, t- and they touch on this in this article. And we thought that was a really innovative move by the Singapore software company that actually bought 49% of the Rolling Stone um, as, a, as exactly. a content play. Yes. And so it'll be interesting to see if the Singapore company steps up and buys the other 51% or whether it and, – and they actually mentioned in the article that that's going to be a problem because – Really, any company that buys it is going to want the whole thing. They don't want to go into partnership with a Singapore-based, you know, software company. Well, the numbers so are be- yeah, the numbers are interesting. So they have they purchased forty nine percent for forty million, is what the article yeah, says. That's right. So I'm under the assumption because of the headwinds that the advertising industry is facing right now, and probably in Rolling Stone specifically, fifty one percent probably would would get be less than that significantly oh, yeah. less than that maybe 20 25 million or something for the rest of the business that's right and call it and, a day yeah and you've got one of the most iconic brands in publishing and media right and what you do i mean I, I just it amazes me what you know could be done with that brand from a media perspective i mean much less from a product perspective but from a media perspective i mean why didn't they get into films and why didn't they get oh into gosh, television why so didn't many. they get into yeah. you know 
you know, comics and music. I mean, you know, why didn't they start issuing? Uh, there's just so much here. What? It, yeah, I mean, can, events. You know, it, yeah, I mean, exactly. Just think about that. I mean, the rock festivals that are going on that everyone, every other company out there has started and owned. Well, why? Why couldn't that have been Rolling right. Stone? The, ro- the Rolling Stone Rock and Roll Festival. I mean, how cool would that be, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, there you have it. So, any music brands out there, any product music brands out there, if you're interested in uh, acquiring the Rolling Stone, it is got a big for sale sign in the garage. So, go, go get them. So you got, um, all right. Why don't you and I scrape some together? Let's make this <laughs> well. Let's make this bad you, boy happen. You've got a little more scraping than I have. Yeah, but you're you're. So. I mean, you're the rock and roll guy. I mean, you're all. I mean, I know you talk the Hollywood Fine. game. I'll but come your work roots for are you. Rock you, and roll. you go scrape up enough to buy Rolling Stone, and I'll come work for you. I'll be the. I'll, I'll be your. I'll be your little man floating around covering Rolling Stone. How about that? Okay. Well, we'll have to re-record Bohemian Rhapsody just there it is. for that. Just so, for you. Yeah, exactly. All right. So we're going to cover a couple of stories here on our deep coverage, uh, which is talking more specifically about content marketing and the practice within that. And interesting one to open up here um, from our friends at MediaPost.com. The headline here is WPP, the very large behemoth advertising company, invests in podcaster Gimlet Media. Dun, dun, dun. Something we've been predicting would happen for some time. Um, big hat tip here to Mark Beppel. I'm going to guess you. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, that's last, correct. Is that right? Yes. All right. Um, so, well, I got it right the first time. So, uh, WPP continues to hedge its content bets, announcing a strategic investment this week in promising podcasting company Gimlet Media Incorporated. WPP said it is investing $5 million for an undisclosed minority stake in Gimlet, citing such branded content customers as Alphabet, Ford Motor Company, Pepsi, Match Group, eBay, Blue Apron, Goldman Sachs, and Microsoft. Based in Brooklyn, New York, Gimlet was founded in 2014 and has 85 employees. It's raised $27 million in funding to date, which gives you some uh, some sense of what how much they got for their five million bucks, and the company's podcasts are downloaded more than twelve million times per month in more than one hundred and ninety countries worldwide. That's a little bit more than us, just a little bit, a, li- so just, <laughs> a little just more. A, just well, a they've got multiple more. podcasts. They, yeah, yeah, they've got you know they've got that's more not podcasts fair. Than we do. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Not more countries, by the way. That's We're, right. We have more. We countries. rival. Yes, we have, we have the big two zero zero. Uh, That's right. You know, my quick take on this one, Robert, is that the second last paragraph is incorrect. Um, it says WPP, WPP said the investment is a continuation of a strategy focusing on three key areas that differentiate its offering technology, data and content. I'm going to say that it's all about having an audience. And that's why this was this was done, because there are a lot of companies out there that can create whether it's native advertising content, original podcasts that do a great job creating podcast content that's done really, really well. But there's very few companies that have been able to do that and attract an audience. That's why Gimlet raised $27 million, and that's why WPP is investing in it. Because as you and I have talked about, that's what so many agencies are missing. They're missing that component of, oh, where's the audience that we can deliver this message to? And they just invested in a company that can do that. I think you're half right. Oh, good. I think, What's, yeah, what am I half wrong on? I think, I, think, I think WPP did this quite simply as a basically to say to its clients, look, we're, we're hip too. Um, oh, and that's so they're, not, they're, that's, they're, they're, that's terrible. You really think I, they did that? They yes, didn't have, I do. I think they, I think they look at this vision. as a, I think they look, no, I think they look at this as an investment in something that is interesting and growing and easy to invest in. And for the time being a cheaper place to put their ads, I don't think they're looking at this as 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 a direct monetization of an audience. I mean, because it's not right. I mean, because it's we're still talking iTunes and Stitcher, and you know, not an addressable audience. There's, they don't have the data. What data are they getting? What, what, well, they're getting what the data, data are they just like we're getting. getting. Yeah, they're getting the yeah. data just like we're getting. They're You're getting. Right. They don't have the direct data. subscriber data, but that's where and there is we, no technology. I mean, the technology that they're getting is basically podcast syndication. 
technology. So, yay, maybe there's some interesting thing there, but it's not. We're not talking about Google-level technology. We're talking about the ability to syndicate podcasts over multiple platforms, and you know, it's a content management play, if anything else. And the content, that I buy. That I, that I get, because they've got some great shows on that network. And so, um, you know, so I think they're buying access to those clients, basically saying, hey, listen, we're, we're hip too, you know, so all these wonderful clients that they want access to, that some of them are on the roster and some of them aren't, and they say, we can come in and say, hey, we're an investor in Gimlet, and so you've got a big show on Gimlet, and we, we, you know, we can help you out there. So I think it's a business development move by WPP to get into the, the podcasting advertising game, and I think it's a way for them to hedge their bets on the price of ads across all those shows on that on the on that network, that's what I think. All right, I, I don't I don't think I, I don't I, I you know look I maybe I'm being a little cynical here. I just don't think that the 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 powers that be right now. Otherwise, why not buy the whole damn thing? Uh, you know, if it's really about innovating here, you know, a five million dollar investment to WPP is nothing. That is that is that's nothing. Um, and so it, to me, this is, this is a nice press release and something that they're looking at in the corner and not much else. It's not nothing. I get you by 25% of Rolling Stone magazine. Yeah, well, uh, that's <laughs> what they should have done, right? I mean, you know, that's, that's, that, <laughs> maybe they should do both. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, you know what? You're probably right. I hate it when you're right. You're probably right because I'm thinking that there's a broader vision here. There may be, and maybe there is, and maybe I'm wrong, and, and I'm not. <laughs> I just, I'm not. I, you know. Probably. <clears throat> I mean, look, look at the, and look at the very last, I mean, the very last paragraph of this story says, digital content investments made by WPP to date include Russell Simmons All Deaf Digital, Full Screen, Indigenous Media, Imagina, a content rights and media company based in Spain, MRC, Mike, Mitu, Refinery29, Uproxx Media Group, and Vice. All of these are companies that are ostensibly uh, either distribution technology companies or have some level of branded content or native types of, uh, of plays to them. Yeah. And so I think it's really just a... <clears throat> an investment in where they think native is going and how do they get access to clients that are starting to use publishers that are making hay with native. Okay. You're right. I'm wrong on this one. That's fine. Do we have t- <laughs> do we have time to go to the last story cuz I We do. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, okay. So let's cover our cover the last story here. This comes courtesy of our friends at nemanlab.org, a site I really love by the way, just They FYI. do great work. Yeah. Um, they do really good work. Um, the headline here is Ev Williams on Medium's Spotify-ish future and why he changed his mind about ads. The article opens up by saying it can be tempting to write Medium off for dead. The company laid off a third of its staff earlier this year. The bigger name publishers who migrated to Medium have left. Goodbye to The Ringer, Back Channel, The All, Pacific Standard, Film School Rejects, Think Progress. They mostly returned to WordPress or in The Ringer's case to Vox or in Back Channel's case to Condé Nast. The move to Medium was a cool experiment, in my opinion, but the year is up, and personally, I missed the ads, wrote Sylvia Misses the money. <laughs> editor. He misses the quad. Editor of the all and the hairpin, right? <laughs> all of these publishers left largely because they still like ads, at least some ads, and the future that Medium founder and CEO Ev Williams sees for the company and dreams for with media in general doesn't include advertising, not even the native advertising that was a key piece of Medium's plan when it rolled out its publisher program back in 2016. Um, the article goes on to, I think, be a very frank and open discussion with Ev Williams about what's going on. What did you think? We 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 talked about this when we were first talking about Medium changing the model and welcoming yeah. publishers in and that it's still, <laughs> you know, rented land for however Medium wants to talk about becoming the next WordPress or whatever. We talked about this and when publishers don't want to use somebody else's platform. They want their own audiences, regardless of the advertising. They, I mean, so so almost all of those companies that you talked about, they moved back to WordPress. I That's just right. thought that that was interesting. The one thing that I is, I, it, by the way, it's a really interesting article. Everyone should go ahead and read it if you care about it's the great future article, of content. Yeah. It's really, yeah, yeah. really good. The problem that I have with, I mean, besides Ev Williams is fantastic. What a great entrepreneur. The, the challenge is, I think his mission is too broad. 
his mission is just to, just to have a place where people can engage and create and engage great content. That's, That's right. too broad. That is not a mission. You, they, I think what needs to happen is, and by the way, you could see over the last many months, Ev keeps changing his mind. We're going to do this. No, we're going to we're gonna change to this. We're going to change this model. He needs to pick a mission and one particular direction and just become great at it and be that for a while. Because you're you're going to lose too many. Because right now, from what it looks like, it it looks like this is a part time content creator site, not professionals that can maybe get some money on the side. That I, I don't I don't see it as anything more than that, unless there's some bigger mission, and that's what we don't know. You can't just go out and it's like saying we want to be the greatest technology blog on the planet. You can't do that. Nobody's <laughs> nobody's doing that. Right. It's right. not but but you and I have been in companies that said that's what they want to do. And we're like, you know what, you gotta bring it down just a notch. Like, yeah. what can you really be the best in the world at? So that's anyways. right. Yeah, no, I, I I'm 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 in firm agreement. I mean, we talked about on this show when they pivoted this way and started pulling in all these publishers. Um, we talked about them, you know, we said, look, the business model here is pretty simple. It's to become the CMS of publishing. Right. And we said, you know, the, the idea here is, is that they're going to sell this software that's going to enable these publishers to build their house on their platform. Yeah. And then monetize it. And then I thought what we covered, at least my memory tells me, is, is that they were going to be allowed to monetize it in multiple ways, yep. including things like subscriptions and sort of uh, native as well as advertising, et cetera, et cetera. And I think what you're seeing there and the reason that the publishers left was because, quite frankly, the tools didn't come fast enough, right? So they, you know, the the I'm guessing here because I'm not one of the publishers that was part of this program, but I'm guessing, quite frankly, that the that the tools to be able to monetize content didn't come fast enough for some of these publishers, and they went, "Heck, we got to go make a living." Yeah. And so it's not that they really missed ads. I mean, that makes a great quote, but but basically, what she missed, you know, this Sylvia Killingsworth, the editor of the All and the Hairpin, what she missed was making money. And so, you know, she's got to go figure out how to do that. And she's got to put it onto a platform that enables her to have the flexibility that she needs. So that's the real challenge here is, is that, you know, you've got, just to your point, you know, a broad mission to say we're trying to, you know, provide a wonderful platform for the world. But we haven't figured out, quite frankly, how we're going to actually, you know, what, you know, what it is we're actually trying to deliver. You know, what our focus is. What is our focus and our purpose? And, um, yeah, it's, uh, well, it's, you and you know, I have good you, for, you know, I, you and I've talked yeah. about this a lot. If the, if the founder and the team, uh, the CEO, whatever, if they don't have a strong purpose and they don't deliver that purpose onto the team, all kinds of problems are going to happen. So they that's just right. need to make sure that that's communicated. And I mean, right now we're just talking about what's been, been communicated to, you know, this article through this through this writer. We don't know what's communicated to the team, but it's got to be quite confusing because what are we? What are we trying to do? How are we going to change the world? And I love the idea. I mean, it's such a big idea. Oh, we want a a place for inspiring and great and wonderful content to get out there. There's a lot of companies that do that. And a lot of them aren't in business anymore, by the way. If he could figure out a way to sort of combine the idea of of you know of of medium plus what's the I'm blanking on the name right now what's the the the, the monetary service where you can sign up and people can pay you a monthly fee to um, it's a startup company and and then and then you know it's sort of uh, ah it's the uh, I don't know I'll think I'll think of it know. here in a second okay. it's basically where you where you where you're you're paying an artist a, a content creator and then they you sign them up for this and I'm just blanking on the name I'll I'll think of it while we're doing our rants and raves here but um yeah it's the, it's a combination of those two business models that I think would be really interesting well speaking of really interesting business models we yes. should cover our wonderful wonderful sponsor here Yes, absolutely. Our friends at CoSchedule, this is an exclusive for listeners of the PNR podcast. You can try CoSchedule free for 21 days if you go to cmi.media slash PNR201A. That's cmi.media slash PNR201A. 
Uh, CoSchedule calls itself the number one marketing calendar for everything you need organized. Get a bird's eye view of all your content and social promotion. Organize your content and build a consistent schedule so you can publish faster and more often. Workflow management. Keep everyone on the same page with clear directives. Never wonder who's doing what or where you are in a project. And then social promotion. Create all your social in one place. Focus your efforts on quality messaging and stop spending your valuable time jumping from one tool to the next. Try CoSchedule free for 21 days. Go to cmi.media slash PNR201A to get that great deal. And thanks to our friends at CoSchedule for making this happen. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. That is just so awesome. Collaboration, agile, making sure all that stuff's working together. It's um it's 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 the new thing. It's it's really it was a huge topic at content marketing world for absolute sure. Oh, absolutely. I, mean, I had so many people coming up to me talking to me about collaboration, workflow, all that stuff, and it's you know, it's it's uh it's definitely no surprise. It's a that, thing. Yeah, it's, it's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. It's <laughs> definitely a thing. Um Patreon, by the way, is what I was trying oh, to Oh yes. Yeah. With that, so, that um, that's really starting to take off, by the way. I know. So some combination of Medium plus Patreon would be the really interesting play. Oh, I that's think so. That is so. Yeah, I agree with that. You should make that happen. Oh. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you should make that happen. There's two startup ideas for you this show. Like, anyway, moving on to our your favorite part of the show, ladies and gentlemen. It is our rants and rave section where we go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave, something that makes us feel like we are all safe and no risk at all, or something that makes us feel like we're taking the biggest risk of our lives here. Um, and I'm going first because I know it's a huge shock. I have this old marketing Shocker. this week. Uh, <laughs> Chaka. And so, and so, I have two very quick pieces of commentary here. The first one is really, I guess it's a rave, although you know it's not really, it's not really something I'm you know raving about necessarily. But the art, but I think it's required reading. Um, I think it's just fascinating. This comes to us courtesy of MarketingCharts.com. Um, the headline says: Exclusive broadband market surpasses pay TV market in size. There's not very many people talking about this, but this is a big deal, folks. Um, the headline, the, as the story opens, it says the broadband market has just topped the pay TV market in subscriber numbers among the largest providers, um, according to their analysis of the latest quarterly figures um, from Lightman Research Group (LRG). Um, top pay TV providers in the U.S. together represent about 95 percent of the pay TV market. Shed about 655,000 subscribers during the second quarter of the year. Um, and that basically that's a narrower loss overall. In other words, people who are cutting the cord with pay TV providers, um, basically it was a net gain in subscribers to internet delivered services like Sling TV um, and over the top services like Direct, uh, Direct TV Now and those kinds of is, things. Are so, net, is Netflix included in that? Yeah, yes. absolutely. Okay. That's what would be included in some of that. So basically, you're starting to see the trends sort of converge and, and diverge, as it were, um, as you start to see broadband subscriptions going up. So things like Netflix, you start seeing things like over-the-top services like HBO to go, all those kinds of things. And you start seeing the pay TV, the Comcasts and the Verizons and the um, uh, Direct TV. And this is basically, they say that satellite has lost the law, the largest share here. Um, and um, so it's, it's a really interesting time, and, and it sort of feeds into this you know thing I've been on a soapbox of late, which is addressable audiences, and that's the whole point here is is that you know from the consumer side, this is the way I get what I want. This is the way I and I only want what I want. I don't have to buy a bundle anymore, and the the, the great unbundling, as it were, uh, of cable and the way that over the top is happening. And this is a real trend, and and this is I think it, it marks an important milestone, and just it's a it's an interesting numbers, and and if you're looking for some numbers to support yourself in a PowerPoint or a business case, it's a great article. Wasn't All that right, in? So. A, wasn't that? Did you ever watch the movie Dark Crystal? Wasn't the great unbundling? Wasn't that the, from the Dark Crystal? Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Right. It's a Jim Henson movie. Please though, continue. Right? Jim, great Jim movie, Henson by the way. Right? Great. I'm Dark sorry. Crystal. Yeah, Jim Henson with the Muppets. Right. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I digress. Go um, on, please. All right. So second quick um, rant. I guess it is here or rave, depending on your point of view, I suppose. Um, I have I have gone on ad nauseum about the idea of digital ads and, and um, Mark Pritchard's sort of call to action. And interestingly, just this week, um, another article, this week, this one in marketingweek.com, 
basically said that this week, as he at Demexco, um, which is the big German marketing event that happened this week, um, Procter and Gamble's chief, the Mark Pritchard, again gave up and gave a speech. But this time, interestingly, he said something different. He said, the reality is that in 2017, the bloom came off the rose for digital media. We had substantial waste in fraudulent media supply chain. As little as 25% of the money spent in digital media actually made it to consumers, but digital is now a $200 billion industry. We have to stop giving media, digital media a pass and insist it grow, grew up. And basically, he said, the fog has cleared. The, you know, Basically, he says, the fog has begun to clear, and what we're finding is illuminating. And uh, basically, it's going, it's, go, it's going in the right direction, he said. But that's not really what he said. <laughs> so I want to be really clear. Because if you read the article, it, the article gives you sort of the sense that basically, it's all, all this work we've been doing to get the fraud and the bots out of the advertising is all going this wonderful, wonderful way. It's not. As we've covered on this show a million times, Google is now giving money back. Facebook is coming under yet again renewed scrutiny for their measurement tactics. Frauds and bots were now on the buy side and the sell side. And so, yes, we're uncovering more of it. But guess what? That's a losing battle because the technology battle there will always be a losing one. But if you listen to what Pritchard has said, what they're doing is actually very interesting. So you take some sort of parsing through the words of all of the things that he talks about in the article, but basically he says, one, we have basically cut all of the places we were placing ads except for the 200 most trusted of our publisher partners. So in other words, they're really kind of stopping programmatic altogether, and they're really only going to focus on 200 of the most trusted uh, publishers here. Two, they've really started to partner with Amazon, and started looking at e-commerce as a, and a direct-to-consumer model as the way they're going to go to market here. So introducing things like you know Tide as a subscription service and some of their more consumables yeah. and, and and consumer packaged goods as a service, you know, fashion boxes and stuff like that, and really get into the e-commerce and direct-to-consumer. So that has a direct uh, uh, implication to retail and advertising, by the way, and content, by the way, and then third. They're actually cutting $100 million of their digital advertising budget, just pure, you know, just full stop. So those are the three things, right? So in other words, he's saying, yeah, there's nothing to see here. Everything's working well, and we're getting all of this stuff, you know, and, and basically it's all going well with this whole uncovering of the fraud and the bots and all that kind of stuff. But the answers that he's giving are telling you that it's not all, un not all as well in advertising and fraud and bots. And they're basically just pivoting another way. They're just moving a different direction. And that's an important thing for us to realize as marketers here is, is that we too can pivot the different way. We can look in a different method here. And so he's basically, at the end of this article, he talks about we're moving to quote what he calls one-to-one -one marketing, and which is the promise that digital always held. I will add to that, the only way you move to one-to-one -one marketing is that you actually give people what they want, content that they want, and start to develop a relation, a trusted relationship with them from the very beginning. And that's, you know, there's, there's, there's a word for that, and people write books about it. And so that's <laughs> what I would say. Um, I would I'd love to hear him speak sometime. We should. We should. He sounds like a very, very smart man. Yeah, we I should just, probably you know, make that happen. I, I, so. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, I have a. Uh, <clears throat> this is this is a both a rant and a rave, and it's on the same story. So, for those people that are in Northeast Ohio, you've seen this all over the place if you drive on any of the interstates. It's called Inspired OH, and uh, it's InspiredOH.org. And there was always a picture of Frankie Lindor. And if you don't know Frankie, Frankie's the star shortstop for the Cleveland Indians. And it always says, hear Frankie's story at Inspired OH. And there's Bill, Robert, there's literally billboards everywhere. And I'm like, okay, fine. You got me. I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm going to go check it out. I go to inspiredoh.org. And the first thing it does is it takes me to www.ohiolottery.com slash inspiredoh, which is fine. But right off the bat, I'm like, oh, I'm it's thinking, fine. I'm thinking it's this fine. is, yeah, I'm thinking this is going to be a campaign of some kind. Okay, this is kind of, that's okay. Well, I go to the site, 
says, inspiring stories in your own words, positive stories that happen everywhere in Ohio. And we want to hear yours. Share it in words, pictures, or a video and receive a free t-shirt when it's approved. Plus one entrant will win a grand... (laughs) I'm sorry, did I say that like... Plus one entrant will win a grand prize worth up to $5,000. Get ready to spread some positivity. (laughs) Share your story. Okay. (laughs) You have to stop laughing. I can't do this. Um... The first thing is, and so, okay, I go, I do my due diligence. I go do my research. I'm like, okay, well, what, what is this all about? And I go in, and then uh, June 19th, I see a press release from the Ohio Lottery that they team up with Francisco Lindor for the Inspired OH Initiative Read Campaign. They are going, they had launched with some original content. They did a documentary, which is about five minute video on Frankie Lindor. Um, they, they fed it. Uh, with some other stories and then they have pushed to get further stories but the press release only talks about two months so it's basically this is a uh, july and an august initiative that they were going for by the way the ohio lottery you know for whatever it's that they've done 20 they say 23 billion dollars that they've contributed toward education i mean that's why the ohio lottery was created so people people gamble on the lottery they get some winnings and the other half goes to the education organizations in ohio which is a really really good thing but i'm not sure that i'm not sure if this is what they're going for i'm trying to figure out what the vision behind this was in the first place yeah first of all the mission to just spread some positivity, which is everywhere. Again, I think it goes back to what we just talked about with Medium. What is that? I mean, right. let's create something a little bit more specific because if I'm a I'm a human being, oh, I like being positive, but I don't know if being positive and winning a free T-shirt is going to do anything for me. And it looks like they've got about 180 articles submitted, which for all the billboard advertising that they purchased is probably not what they were looking for. But I think the bigger thing is they might have just stopped it. Because it was only supposed to go through the end of August. So all it does is come back to the same things that you and I are talking about. Here's somebody that's trying to do something good. And I love the folks at the Ohio Lottery. Really, really good people. But if you're going to do something like that, do it for a commitment over a long period of time. Do it with a very specific mission in mind about who we're trying to target and what we want to do and what behavior changes we want to see. And I think if you just start with that as the base you're going to make some really good decisions coming out of that and not do something for a short period of time that's way too broad that will will just take it will just never uh, achieve whatever those goals are. Now the last thing I'll say as a positive is I like the fact that they're spending money on billboards for this. I like the fact that they're promoting it. They're trying to get people to the site. But then when I got to the site I was a little bit let down. So that's my my rave, my rant, my more rant and a little bit of rave. I think it's yeah it's it's it, I mean one of the things that's interesting to me is when you and it's funny because our this old marketing example this week is the, is is the opposite of that actually um but it's one of those things where you feel like if you commit to being in operations of of you know commit to the long-term conversation if you will it's like well we can't stop it then right then then there's but that's not true if it's not working or it doesn't resonate you can always stop you can always yeah. quit the thing. You know, you can always turn it off. It's, you know, but if you don't plan, if you don't actually look to the longer term of having the what's next or the, you know, this was, you know, we talked about the Heineken thing, right? You know, it would have been, you know, you can argue over whether it was a good ad or not, but the but but whether we, you know, whether or not it was a good ad or not, it was an ad. And the reason I know it was an ad is because there was no what's next. It was simply right. it was simply meant to call attention to Heineken. And and if you go, no, 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 it was meant to call attention to, you know, equality and having a conversation. It's like, no, it wasn't, because if it was, there would be a what's next. Because if you really want to have a conversation, there should be a conversation. There should, you know, and so if you're creating positivity around the world, are you telling me that sending a T-shirt to me is going to make, you know, create positivity around the world? No, but have the, have, have the conversation. Let's, you know, let's have the big idea. Let's really... Let's go down that road. Anyway, I think it's a... No, it, you know what's so it's timely a, is I'm just looking at my email inbox here from Seth Godin. It's a, he's yeah. a selfish marketing doesn't last. One line. In the long run, your selfishness will catch up with you. Day by day, the long run keeps getting shorter. I love that. <laughs> I love great, that. He's so annoying true. and how... I know. God, can't stand it. you, he's Seth Godin. You're so smart yeah. and witty. <laughs> 
All right. All right. We have a we have a wonderful this old marketing to talk about quickly here. Um and it's not that old actually. Um have you seen the the fearless girl statue in New York? I have not. No. It's cool. I have to say, it was, you know, I made a point to, last time I was in New York, it was a couple of times ago, but but the, when I was in New York to actually go see it, it's really, it's just very well done. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, and I'm reading the article that we're going to link to in the show notes here is from Adweek, just a wonderful article. Um, and it goes through basically the business benefits of the fearless girl. And the fearless girl uh, was something that arrived in the middle of the night, sort of a, you know, just organically grown, seemingly organically grown piece of artwork. that have, And it's this wonderful, fearless young girl standing defiantly in front of the giant bull um, that is that sort of marks the entrance to Wall Street and the Wall Street district. And it was, you know, it's about, you know, it's a little under five feet, maybe four, four feet, you know, a little over four and a half feet tall. Um, and basically she's standing there defiantly in front of the, the, um, in front of the bull. And it was, it's a marketing thing, right? It's a piece of content more than anything else. And, and just to the point of what Joe was just talking about, it was something that they made a commitment to, and it was done by state street global advisors. And they executed it through, and this is wonderful, um, through McCann, their ad agency in New York. And they got an artist, and they commissioned an artist to do it. And basically, the Fearless Girl statue in New York went viral almost immediately. A billion Twitter impressions in the first 12 hours. I mean, that's just astounding. Um, 4.6 billion Twitter Twitter impressions and more than 215,000 Instagram posts over 12 weeks. Uh, there was a petition signed by more than 40,000 people that demanded that Fearless Girls stay put, even though it was only supposed to be a temporary thing. Wow. Um, basically, they've got this petition now where it's going to stand at least stand through 2018. And it was created on a shoestring budget. There was no paid media at all behind this. Um, basically, they just stuck it up there. Um, and then the State Street Senior Management Director and CMO, Stephen Tisdale, basically uh, has reported... It generated $7.5 million in free marketing for the company across TV, social, and radio. Um, and basically, they then went deeper than that because they said, yeah, free marketing's nice and everything like that, and it was wonderfully viral and it blah, blah, blah. But did it actually help the business? And they actually started to peel it back. Now, according to the company and the ongoing conversation, and this is the part to Joe's point earlier, her purpose was not necessarily to become a worldwide icon, but to promote a, the one-year anniversary of the company's She Fund, which invests only in companies that have women in top leadership positions. So did the company reach its goal of putting more women in C-suites? And yes, they absolutely have. They've, As they said, they've, we've reached out proactively to companies we invest in that do not have women on their boards to actually get them to understand that there's greater performance to be gained by having women leadership roles. Of those 476 companies, 76 of them actively worked to promote women and got women reelected to the board of chairs of more than 400 companies. And that's an incredibly cool thing, right? So that's not creating a customer per se, but it is creating a market. It is creating a, mm -hmm. a customer in a really interesting way because you're not selling something, but you're creating a market that will ultimately remember who brought them there. And they have, as they said, we have a huge well-oiled machine now that votes on a whole bunch of board initiatives for thousands of companies that we invest in. We are proactively voting for these types of changes. Um, then they also made a huge impact for the She Fund daily trading volume went up by 384%. So it did affect short-term performance um, as well. Basically, State Street had a perception problem as the third largest asset manager in the world with more than $2.5 trillion in assets. But within the consumer space, very few people really know how the company invests, why they invest, or what they have as an organizational set of values. And that's what they were really trying to get across with this this piece of wonderful content. Get and their goal was to get the 3,500 publicly traded companies that the S State Street invests in to truly focus on creating a gender balanced workforce. It's not about politics, said the company. It's about performance um, and all of that. So they've created a conversation. They've created an ongoing program for what this is working on. Created an ongoing program for getting more women across uh, in more board seats and more leadership 
leadership positions across the company. And this content was the very first piece of that. Um, and it's just a wonderful example of a piece of content. And I think just a great example, even though it's not that old of this old market. Oh, that's a fantastic example. I've seen pictures of it. I've not been there to see it in person, but would really enjoy to do that. The article is really so. wonderful too. The article that, that, that tells the story does so in a very succinct way. So it's a great article in ad week. So excellent. Just, uh, yeah. Wonderful. Good find. Yeah. Um, go. so what are you doing? What do you got going on this week? I am uh, traveling, actually, um, toward the end of the week. Weirdly, I have a weekend trip. Um, I'm going to speak at the American Bankers Association, speaking of financial services. I am giving a short workshop there on Sunday. So that means I have to travel on Saturday um, and then back literally Sunday night. So as I'm sort of just giving up my weekend um, for that. And uh, other than that, I'm, I'm heads down. I'm still uncovering a little bit, working on client work and all that. How about you? Well, I'm working on the launch of a book tomorrow. Oh, right, so that, that, we, that we yeah. have going oh, yeah. on, and oh, yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I've got that thing. I've got three local speeches this week. Uh, doing a okay. chamber of commerce thing, doing another thing for a local company, and uh, so a busy week, busy week this week. But mostly working on the book stuff. So as you yeah. are too. I'm, so yes, I am. So. I am. I did. I'm, see, I told you, folks, I'm the worst at this. I'm the. I'm so bad at it. Yes, I'm working on the book launch. Yeah. I'm marketing my new yeah. book. That's it. Gonna do it. <laughs> awesome. So go on by it tomorrow. If you're going to do Absolutely. it, do it tomorrow. All right, folks, All right. that is it. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. We are signing off. And if you like this episode, number 201, we're one, we're one into our next 200, folks. Won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes? We love the kind reviews. And if you haven't yet, do consider subscribing. I mean, if you've listened to this many and you haven't subscribed yet, what are you doing? Subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher.com or your favorite podcatcher. And if you leave us a review or if you subscribe or if you send us a story ideas because we need those story ideas, won't you hashtag us up, this old marketing on the Twitter or of course, you can send an email as well to thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today are going to be available in the show notes as we go to publish on Monday night, and of course, in all their replete Technicolor glory in the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.